Nelson Mandela had so much compassion for his brothers and sisters. People don't realize it's about the Beatles, that they knew they were brilliant. You saw thousands of people along the rail line just standing there to say goodbye to Bobby Kennedy. One story in every human being that defines who you are. Do we film on a volcano that's just about to explode? But the reason this mail pack has been astoundingly successful is because there are pictures of rabbits on the envelope. I mean, I remember it so well where, you know, I was like, hello, hi, Susie, hi, it's LD. I was like, oh, hi, Lyle, what's up? I mean, I think there's something about chaos, right? It either, either you run from it or you run towards it. And for me, there was really this in instance of wanting to run towards it. So welcome to Great Minds. And our special guest today is Guru Gaurapan, the CEO of Verizon Media. And it's wonderful to have you here. So thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much, Matt, for having me here. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah. And I know you got yourself to USC. Uh, but talk about even further when you were younger and growing up, and I know you were lucky that you always had food on your plate and yet you, you know, had, you know, a strong education, but talk about how that early life experience going all the way back to the home country helped shape you. You know, I'll tell you one of the stories, right? I grew up in a very rural part of India growing like uh, schooling and through high school and I didn't even have TV, to be honest, till 1990. I mean, and you didn't have internet, uh, right? So there was no access growing up there. So for me, it was interesting because you had, yes, you had food on table. It was still rationed in a way. You didn't have access. You didn't have access to a lot of the things today. I see it in the U.S. at least, you know, we waste a lot and a lot of that. But there was an important foundation for me in terms of family values, you build the integrity, how much hard work and dedication matters a lot, how much humanity matters a lot, because in India, at least where I grew up, it was all about a big union family, right? Your your uncles and cousins and all of that, a lot of that thing built a good foundation. So I always say now, I say, look, our life is about human to human, human to something bigger and human to society. If you think about kind of that's the core crux of what we do. And for me, I feel like what I when I was growing up in India, that was a core foundation of it. When I'm in that group or I talk to people in India, it reminds me so much that where I came from and that keeps me grounded, right? It's an important thing because I, you know, I, I was lucky enough, you know, through my career here to work with, uh, when you think about the early days or later days of Yahoo and name all the CEOs I worked with, I had a front row seat, but biggest luck I had was I always, always say in a dinner table here, when I go and meet someone and I'm having CEOs or talking to others, I'll say, always reminds you when you grow up what you don't have when you compare right now, right? You, you can put things in perspective. And I think that global life in, in growing, the humility that it builds, I think that's the biggest foundation that can create because that only you can do when you grow up hard way, right? When you don't have access to a lot of stuff, you have right amount of things, but you have to work hard uh, to go through it days of life. Uh, I'm thankful that in an interesting way, COVID days now reminds you a lot of those things in a good way. So look in whatever 20 some years or 30 years, uh, you know, when you look back to the high school life and a lot of those things, I'm humble. Uh, and I, I always feel now, the reason I remember that a lot is because now I think about it more saying I've got so much more to do. You know, that's the other thing. It keeps you at that ground zero level saying you got to do so much more for the society yourself, your family, but how much more you can give back and have that impact. Right. But you are a thousand percent right. What happens to you as a young person that shapes you and absolutely stays yeah. with you. Yes. 
you know, I lament my kids are 25 and 22 and today's kids don't really work in their teen years. Uh And I think that's a loss for them because I look back when I was working 12 years on, I think that really shaped who I became. Yeah. And, and you used to work where you didn't even get paid, right? Most times there was, you know, at least, at least when I was doing even internships was a concept in India was not taking off. We would go door to door to companies, even during college time, India didn't have the internship concept other than you work, you did something, uh, but nobody paid you for anything, right? And we would go door to door saying, we'll do anything. Um, after USC, I guess you spent some time at Dartmouth yeah. as well. Yeah. I did my I did uh, I did a business bridge program. Tuckless School of Business has a simple summer program. So I just did a because for me, just a background there. As much as I did my computer science goes on uh, information technology, computer science undergrad and masters in computer science. I as much as I loved coding and writing a, a program, I was part of you know WashU and part of the research group writing big parsers around breast cancer and all of that. I really enjoyed the end to end kind of building a product which means you had to be a little bit more on the business side and the front line. And I didn't have that skill set, you know, thinking about, and it, this goes back to my gaps I had when I did the two startups in India too. The biggest skill set that I lacked was business ability, but to understand the market, did you go size it up? Are you targeting the right segment and all of that? That's, I was missing that a lot. And that's why when I, I did the summer program and that kind of put me in consulting trajectory, so I could do that. But then consulting, I was not satisfied because you never can close the loop on that. You're just advising. I wanted to go product. So Right. But but you're, you're unique in that you are a genuine, if it was, a, I'm a sports guy also, and you would be what you would call a triple threat. Sure. Because you've got that engineering, you understand the science, you understand the business, but as your career has evolved, you've also become a creative person. And I'm sure that's comes from spending so much time with brilliant, creative people. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think I'm thankful for that. I mean, I, I, if I look back to my journey in the U.S., the companies I worked for and the leaders I worked for in their journey, you know, Alibaba or Yahoo or Zynga, you know, the Overture days, all of that, all the way through now, Verizon, and then the startup I did at Quixie, every one of them. And I was not that much on the business and the product creative side in the early part of my career. I was learning a lot of that. I was observing a lot of people. I mean, the great, great minds. I mean, you think about Yahoo's legacy in a way, you think about many products that have come after. Uh, you look at any management team today, it's got Yahoo University in a way as a foundation, right? Look at the biggest startups or biggest public companies now in this tech sector. And, and I learned from a lot of them, right? A lot of them are alumni in a way, and I work with a lot of them. And that creativity i'm thankful and now i'm lucky i get to spend a lot of time on that uh, generally on the product side and and really go deeper into that not just the technical side but but i enjoy that journey so when you started at yahoo i guess it was around 2005 um jerry and david were still there right and who was the CEO then? Was it Terry Semmel? Terry Semmel was the CEO. So that was an incredible leadership team. Incredible. I mean you had Terry Semmel, Sue Decker uh, was then the CFO she then became the president. I worked for her. Uh, I used to work with a lot closely. You had Jeff Wiener, who was LinkedIn CEO, now chairman. So I was Jeff Wiener's chief of staff. Great leader, very product and operational uh, insight. So he took over the ad business, the overture business that had 
uh, Yahoo had acquired. So he took over, and I was in the overture business. So I actually came in through the overture side. And I used to work, I used to work under Ted Meisel at that time. And then, you know, Jeff Wiener came in. He was running that business unit. I think uh, when it comes to leadership, uh, one of the most important lessons I've learned is the importance of inspiration. Yep. Uh, the ability to inspire others to achieve shared objectives, to me, is at the heart of leadership. And how, do you, how do you do that? I think there's three things. First is uh, the clarity of your vision mm-hmm. and understanding what it is you ultimately want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second is the courage of your conviction, because if it's truly visionary what you want to accomplish, there's going to be a lot of naysayers, and you have to really believe in what it is that you're trying to do, otherwise people aren't going to follow you. And the third is something that uh, the three of you would uh, be quite familiar with, and that's the ability to effectively communicate uh-huh. uh, both your vision and the courage of your conviction. I thought you were going to say you have to get up early every day. <laughs> then Sudecker took over as president and moved through it. But Dan Rosenzweig, you name it, right? I mean, that was management. Judge Zard, uh, you had David Philo, of course, Ash Patel, who ran product at that time. I mean, it was insane. I mean, and, and it's amazing to see. And I was lucky enough to also be part of the Alibaba journey then. I had met at least Jack, Ma, and Josai, and a lot of them during the Yahoo days. Every day is uncertain. The only certain day was yesterday. I'm not sure about that. In the future, I can I would dictate. I would be stupid. That's why I should retire early when I'm young. That is why I have a lot of things that I dream I want to do. I want to philanthropy. I want to be a teacher. I want to go back to school. I want to do the environment. And the world is so wonderful. Why should it be the sea of Alibaba all the time? I'm, I'm coming to this world not to work. I want to come to this world to enjoy my life. I don't want to die in my office. I want to die on the beaches. <laughs> and full circle, I ended up working for Alibaba, uh, you know, with Jack and these guys. So it was, a, it was amazing. I mean, I would never trade that time for anything else. I think that learning and working with people like Jerry, I don't think Jerry gets the credit that's due uh, for what he's created. Think about 2005, taking a billion dollars off your balance sheet, getting out of China, selling that to a company like Alibaba, which was at that time a $2 billion company in GMV, which is now close to a trillion dollar GMV, taking that bet, raising a billion dollars today, it's a big deal. Or investing a big billion dollars today is a massive deal. 2005, you're taking more, almost 30% or 25 to 30% of your cash that's left and getting out of one of the biggest markets you could imagine and betting on Jack and Alibaba. I don't think anybody, I mean, I think people have written here and there, but he's created in many ways history and, and what the future of a lot of these ecosystems are. And, and I talk, I, I'm lucky enough to talk to Jerry still. You know, we, we try to catch up every couple of months and uh, he's always been my mentor and, you know, helps me out. But that's, that crowd is amazing. And I talked to Sue and some of the other folks too. So I, I remember when after Overture had sort of evolved and when they put, it was a seminal moment, which now is almost comical, when the sales org put search and display together. Yes. <laughs> and there was a big conference in another with another hat on many years ago. I used to actually produce some of the big events for Yahoo. Uh-huh. Wow. And did we did their sales conference out west. It was when Terry and Dan, Mark. Sue, all of them yeah. were there. And the theme was one because it was one Yahoo. Yeah. And we had Ziggy Marley perform. <laughs> oh, right, right. And he opened with one love and it really all worked. Sure. Looking back now. 2020, it's hard to believe that that stuff was separate and had to be put together. Yeah. 
And 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 looking even now what we're doing, because if you look past the, the Verizon media journey, you look at AOL and Yahoo, we were still doing integration of putting together things. And there was a lot of debate internally, even two years back when we were integrating systems saying, oh, you've got to have native and display and video and and search and all of these things. I mean, search, of course, now is Bing, which powers it. But if you think about it, even now, there are many products that really look at these things separately. And while you want to have one unified marketplace, and that's our strategy, right? We are really building, or we have most of it, at least on the DSP side, one unified marketplace. But yes, you look back, you're like, wow, uh, there was so much fighting about these two. You never thought about one Yahoo. In many ways, you know, that slowed us down many times. And you look at Google and 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 what you know they did, and I think Facebook in its own way, building a new system ground up. I think I mean they don't. Of course, Facebook doesn't have search. It's amazing to see how much you look back. You're like, well, you don't want to repeat that again, right? These are the things, and and I think the biggest gap. If you look back 25 years of internet history, look at the co- product journey of the companies, right? You look at the first version, the Google and Facebook. Oh, sorry, Google and Yahoo, and they came out late 90s, right? At Google, our mission is to make the world's information accessible and useful, and that means all of the world's information. Uh, which now in our index numbers over a billion documents. And it's an incredible resource. I mean, in history, you have never had access to just, you know, pretty much all the world's information in seconds. And we have that now. And to make it really useful, you have to have a good way of finding whatever it is that you want. And that that's precisely what we work on at Google. And my my hope is to provide instant access uh, to any information anybody ever wants uh, in the future. They were engineering companies. It was literally lines of code and the product really, there was no product experience, right? Then you go into the Facebook era through Instagram, that era, it became a little bit more about product. It became about user experience. Can I remove the friction, right? Then you go into the next era, you take the Ubers of the world and all of that. It's really bringing marketing, product, and engineering all together and creating that really seamless, like zero-click experience, if you will. Well, uh, well, welcome. How'd you get here tonight? Uh, pushed a button, got a ride. Did you really? Yeah. How many people here have used Uber so far? All of that happened actually in an interesting way. Co- companies that are very customer-centric, like forget the org structure, don't show your org structure to the customers. I mean, that's what we did a lot, right? You can, you can see, you go to a browser now or you go anywhere in a product, you, I would always tell my teams, don't show your org structure to, uh, to the consumer or, or end customer. And I think companies that fix that and you look back back to the search versus display, you wear a customer hat from, from an advertiser standpoint, doesn't matter. I'm spending a dollar. I want to get the maximum ROI. I want to I split it. I want to give you either do search or display, create a single uh, marketplace and how you play with that. It's a very easy, when you start putting customer, it becomes an easy problem to solve. Right versus orcs fighting against each other. So I, I think you may have sort of inadvertently already answered this, but looking back on that early part of your career, you mentioned people like Terry and Dan and Jack and and Joe. Who were some of the great minds who really influenced you at that early part of your career? I think the early part of the career, I would say, I mean, I worked I, I think there are three phases of my career, right? I think the early part of my career was working with visionary and operating leaders who further intensified my focus on and love for creating products. So I would put Jerry Yang uh, in, a, in a probably the biggest bucket there in terms of what 
that enabled me to to really take on that inspiration of product and engineering in a way and building that. Uh, I can go through, I think the later phase, if I take the later part of my career, which I was fortunate to have a mentor who taught me more about importance of building sustainable businesses for a long term and the importance of solving real problems by putting consumer at the center of everything. And that's, I would put Jack uh, in, in that bucket because he is a vision. He thinks about 102 years in terms of vision and company and how you need to serve across three generations. A company should survive, how a company is a living organism. So you are to continuously evolve. And Alibaba made Wall Street history one week ago with the largest initial public offering in history. Since then, the China-based company's stock has flattened out while the market has fallen. The Dow dropped 264 points just yesterday. Alibaba's founder, Jack Ma, has a net worth now of nearly $26 billion. <laughs> Sunday on 60 Minutes, Lara Logan sits down with Ma to learn how he built the world's largest e-commerce company. With just over $50,000 in seed money, Alibaba was born. Today, it's valued at $231 billion and is headquartered in Hangzhou on a sprawling state-of-the-art campus that rivals any in Silicon Valley. Ma's personal fortune makes him the richest man in China and one of the most influential and I think now, when I now fast forward, I've become close, closer with mentors who are more pragmatic at scale, right? So I've learned so much about how to effectively work in massive organizations. You know, Alibaba and all those were big, but we were still internet companies. You look at Verizon, now we have 135,000 people. So how do you work through many layers? How do you make business decisions to achieve outcome? So I would put more Hans, who's our group CEO. I mean, he's, I mean, he came from Ericsson, really working through in a, how much actually is great to see we bought in a good blend of like how internet company speed needs to be there, but also scale. If we think about Verizon's biggest strength is our operational ability and really staying to our core values of trust and innovation. And Hans has been a good, really good mentor around helping me through that. And then, you know, I'll put John Donahue in, in the same bucket. You know, he's now at Nike. Uh, he's someone who I talk to regularly and he mentors me around and he's transitioned. He's transformed companies. You think about eBay and what happened with PayPal to then ServiceNow and then now Nike. So he's been one, at least now in this stage, between him and Hans really played a very important, playing, playing a very important role. Terrific. So I, I want to get to where we are today with Verizon Media, but reflecting on uh, your tenure at Quixie, looking at Zenga, you had a huge job at Alibaba, what experiences there help prepare you for this enormous gig you have now as CEO of Verizon Media? I would say I would say two things. One, I became extremely mission driven, which was you know I was very transactional early on in my career, and I think it was important to become uh, a mission driven. And my my personal mission in that became I want to have a positive impact on billions of people. Uh, so Verizon Media, you know, gave me that platform, and two extremely deeply product guy. Uh, that's what I, you know, if I take from Zynga onwards, uh, you know, my, I mean, Yahoo had a little bit of that foundational experience, but I think that transformed into Zynga and then Quixie and then Alibaba as well, really becoming that customer centric. So I think those two, I would put it at the top, top of the level. So bringing that now, if I, if I think about why Verizon Media and how all that ties in, for me, you think about a brand like Yahoo, Brand like Yahoo has a 98% brand recall today, right? 
it's hard to get any brand to that level. Now, yes, there was a gap of, I would say, 10 years of product evolution. And that's where I got excited saying, I love this challenge coming into Verizon and Verizon Media. When you think about it, it's like bring that mission-driven culture uh, or mindset, right, at core, bring that product mindset at core and really become rigorous on execution. Because in the end, I go back to what I was telling about Jack, right? It's all about evolution. And companies die when you don't evolve. Products die when you don't evolve. So how do you make that together? So that's what I would say as what two big skill set and building that with uh, execution rigor is what I'm bringing to Verizon Media and what got excited for me. Verizon. And, and I could hear you almost jumping through the screen that, that you can't <laughs> manufacture that excitement. So how did we go from Group MD at Alibaba to Oath and ultimately to Verizon? Did there, was there a recruiter? How did, how did you get there? Yeah, you know, there was a recruiter. I was thinking, I was in my innings at Alibaba saying, look, I love being part of a platform in China and whatever I've helped them with globalization and all of that. But by the time I became so much personally mission-driven, I'm like, I want to be the next phase as I think about it, I want to take something that has a good scale, but go even bigger and have a bigger impact, touch billions of people. So I was starting to think about that move very early. And I said, look, it's going to take whatever, six or nine months before I really go down a path. And then I had a recruiter uh, you know, in an interesting way I came by. Now, during that process, when I was at Alibaba, I was in Taipei once. Uh, Tim Armstrong was there. He was doing an Asia tour. So the head of uh, international now, Rose, who's with us uh, right now in Taiwan, she had pinged me and I was always talking to her. She's like, hey, look, our CEO of Oath is coming by. If you're around in the region, would love for you to come and explain culture and you know how things work in Asian companies and culturally and what he can take away for Oath. I had a dinner that time. And interesting enough, that and the recruiter stuff, happened in parallel. This was right right when I was uh, meeting him and the recruiter had reached out. This was Verizon driving at that time because I came in as a Verizon hire. So I met right after that. Of course, Tim was excited. He's like, hey, is that even an option? So I said, you know, hey, it's worth exploring. But at the same time, I ended up meeting Lowell. Uh, Lowell McAdam was the uh, chairman, CEO at that time. So I flew in uh, from Hong Kong just for 24 hours into LA. I still remember right before Super Bowl, uh, this was 2018. Um, and uh, he had flown uh, from Super Bowl. I, I mean, I was there the day before. I was literally 24 hours. We were supposed to meet for an hour. We had three-hour lunch, me and Lowell saying, and I told him, like, this is what I would do and I'm why I'm passionate about the, the media brands. And I think, look, getting this many eyeballs, when you think about 900 million monthly active users and the foundation of things, you can't get that. It's hard to buy. Now, it needs, it's a journey. It ain't going to turn overnight. But at least when I put the product view and the mission view and how you can execute, there is a lot that you can do. And then being with Verizon, uh, the number one you know, mobile carrier in the US and in the world, when you think about how well we drive profitability and all of that. So that got excited. And then I met, I hadn't actually met Hans at all during the process um, because Hans was still not, you know, he was not nominated. But the, the, the tip only thing I had, Lowell, at some point in the journey mentioned, you will be the last, you're the last senior guy, uh, management leadership guy I'm bringing in on board. I didn't understand what that really encoded into, but uh, two months later, he announced his retirement. And then three months later, Tim, Tim announced and that transition happened. So in a way, 
it was great journey getting in the passion and the mission. When I started talking, I'm like, look, I love a good challenge. You know, I grew up that way. I was always an underdog growing up. Uh, I love, I love that challenge. I love the, the mission aspect. And I, you know, I, you know, when you see such core good things, now you have to make hard decisions coming in. You know, your things you're shutting down, you're focused on a few things. And, you know, we took care of the cost in a good way, all of that. And it's a journey. But I'm like, this is going to be the best. What's the worst case scenario? You learn a lot. Uh, the best case scenario, you're building the next massive thing. And, you know, you, when you see that spectrum, you walk out very, very confidently, not overconfident, but at least you take a, a confident journey. You bring the employees together and their journey and walk through that. So that's how it got me excited getting into this. And, you know, I've, I'll tell you, every day for me, the excitement is even bigger and bigger. So two months in, Lowell leaves. Three months in, Tim leaves. Did you look at yourself in the mirror and say, what did I get myself into here? I did. You know, uh, I'll be honest with you, you know, being, being human being, I did. Um, because suddenly all the variables change on you, right? People you, you, you trusted in a way coming in that changed. The only thing that got remi- remained was the core mission and the products and all of that. So I did look in the mirror and said, wow, what did I get into? But that's also at the same time, I reminded myself, Guru, go back to your core values. You know, why did you make the decision at first place? Of course, people mattered a lot, but you can almost say two out of three are still remaining still, which is the mission and the product side of it and the, and the, and how you want to execute. That hasn't changed. And if anything, it's accelerated. This could have happened in a year's time. It would have been the same thing in a way. You're just getting to do this much sooner. So it took me a few days, but I got back in. And I think the needle more change for me there was meeting Hans. I actually hadn't spent a lot of time with him. I had met him a few times, but really spending that one-on-one time with him. And I'm like, wow, this guy really cares about this. And, and he's going to give me a shot. Uh, and I remember still that first meeting. We both went in. You know, it's like your first date. You both went, go in saying, you don't know whether this is going to work. And you're already thinking about option B. And I'm sure you was thinking the same way. But you walk out of this thing saying, man, this is, you know, holy shit, this worked out. Fine. Right, right. Uh, you look back. But that was, you know, now it's like almost, uh, whatever, a year and a half or 18 months into that journey. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's, that definitely went through my mind, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes plan B becomes plan A, right? No, yes. Plan B does become plan A. Right. So let's talk about, um, about Verizon Media. When you came in, the general word in the marketplace was that Tim had built a great collection of assets and the market said that you were the right guy to take all that and really turbocharge, accelerate the growth, maximize value, and really deliver on the promise of what had been built mostly before you got there. Was the market right? Was that the right take on you? Market was right. Look, I, I think the market should assess me in terms of what happens. And it's, I would say we are probably in innings two of their journey right now. Uh, definitely. I think that was the market's view saying, hey, you have this great set of assets, but the core value out of this is how you integrate all together and work as one ecosystem. And then how do you grow from there? Now, there is a lot of work. One is integration. You think about our ad systems at one point between DSP and the SSP side, we've had I don't know, 13 different systems. How do you make sure? Because the sooner you integrate, that means you innovate faster, right? Because you free up resources who are not focused on blocking and tackling, but working on innovation. So I would say yes, in, in many ways, that was the intention coming in. 
And if I look at the results, uh, the I will talk about Q4 because COVID has made the results a little murky in a way when you look at what's happened. But if you think through Q4, when I came in, we were declining as a, as a company in, in on a monthly basis, call it in some double-digit number on a, on a year-on-year basis. Q4 last year, when we announced our earnings, at least on the revenue side, we were... Uh, we we announced almost flat. That was our uh, message. That that is in you know now you're not showing growth numbers, but you when you got declining double digits to almost flat on a year on a year basis, sure. that's a big jump. Absolutely, a lot, and a lot of that came from we did focus on product. We we had a we have a core mission, and then really getting even on the ad side. I'll tell you on the DSP side, our DSP business right now is growing. You know, good double digits, right? But we did not until we finished integration, which took us painfully long and really accelerating that. Now we are definitely growing really well on the DSP side and we are competing and taking some share in many ways you know, with what you're seeing there. So, so I would say yes, but it's a, it's a long journey, right? You have to, the way I always think about this is once you have a strategy, you have a plan, then you know the milestones that you're hitting and you're testing that milestone saying, okay, you said this would happen. Is it happening or not? And there were a few things that didn't work and we shut down. There are consumer products that we built that didn't work. We exited things like Tumblr, which is not core to our strategy. So we did a lot of those things in that time frame, which also took care of our cost. You know, being much more disciplined on cost and investing in areas that matter a lot. Now, when I think about what that has done, even during COVID time, we've added, I mean, our consumer engagement side and our traffic like most media companies but we have outpaced many of them in a way in terms of users we've added in last, you know, uh, at least last four to six weeks, right? That's been huge addition. And also engagement level, locked in user behavior, that's grown. And ads, I already said what we've done on the DSP side. So I think we're seeing the early proof points. And I would say we are in the innings too. Um, the key is now getting to this journey. This phase is going to be the most tricky, unpredictable one. But the reality is I think all of us are on the same boat in a weird way, right? So so that at least, you know, as much as I feel bad for the situation, I think we're all in the level playing field in many ways, right? Yeah, no, there's a certain comfort in this shared discomfort. Yes. Yeah. So, right. Well, Matt, yes. Yeah. So one of the other things that you have brought to Verizon Media is a real sense of humanity. And uh, I'd love for you to talk about the company's commitment and your commitment to mental health. And I'd be remiss not to also talk about um, what a great job I thought you did on stage with us at Advertising Week with Serena Williams. And what Serena and the team have done is change how we think about our products. I mean, we've truly, we talk about at core, it's a lot of our customers. If we think about all the advisory board members, including Serena, they impact directly as, let's say, athlete to running their products or running companies, several billion people globally, right? That's the impact each one of them bring. And for us to have that, it sets a high bar. But I'd love to talk about some of your sort of priorities that are more on the human side versus the technology or the financial side. Sure. Uh, No, thanks for that. Look, I, you know, I said that earlier in terms of my own personal value value system or or behavior which is around the human to human human to something bigger that you don't control and human to society i think that's like core way of how we all live and part of that i'm a big believer in how much mental health is so it's it's probably the biggest thing that's happening now for sure but also if you 
if you don't, if you measure or don't measure, I think globally it's a big issue, and and markets where culturally are more suppressed. So I personally am committed to shaping the way mental health is perceived and supported in our community, and dedicated to making our company a great place to work for everyone. And promoting a safe and supportive and stigma-free workplace. So we partner with you know groundbreaking organizations, including uh, Born This Way Foundation, uh, Made of Millions Foundation, to raise awareness and normalization of mental health. Uh, donating Yahoo Mobile devices to mental health nonprofit. You know ABG Wellness Group that provides in-home mental health therapy. So so there are things like that we've started doing. And and when I start thinking about mental health, always starts with your yourself and your employees first. So. One of the first things we do internally is we have a neurodiversity employee resource group, which empowers all minds in the workplace through awareness, education, and a network of support. We offer, of course, a lot of tools, guided meditations, access to free and, and app. And we have an app called Inside Timer, which is free for all of the employees. We give them that. We provide also 24-7 on a confidential basis free counseling support as well as psychiatry services and emotional wellness support for employees and families. Uh, and then we have experts from physicians to mental health experts joining our uh, leadership team uh, uh, when we do company all hands. So I do, uh, I now do three days a week uh, during the COVID time, uh, company all hands answering questions. So once a week we have an expert from outside. We had Deepak Chopra once. What advice would you give for our employees? A little bit more who are isolated right now, right? We're working from home. You're not going. I think are there practices or things that you would say? You said there are a few things that you can walk through. Why, why don't you walk through that? Yes. Now, there are certain things that enhance corporate well-being. Uh, and I should tell you that there's a lot of data on this. So the uh, first thing is that the leadership team, which is right now the team that I'm uh, speaking to, I think, the leadership team has a shared vision for the company and also for themselves, a shared vision, number one. Number two, they're emotionally and spiritually bonded. They care for each other, which means there are four things they pay attention to. Uh, I call them the four A's. Attention, which means deep listening to each other. Affection, which means deep caring for each other. Appreciation, noticing the gift, the technology gift, the social gift, and the professional gifts that everyone brings to the table. So that is appreciation of the talents and gifts that we have. And then acceptance. We're not trying to change anybody emotionally. We accept you as you are. These are the four A's. Attention, appreciation, affection, acceptance. I do think, again, starting leading with employees first is important. And then we've started doing it for the society. So we launched... What about three weeks now? We launched something called Yahoo Life, which is again about your mental, physical, and emotional well-being. So really putting content, but eventually you're going to start seeing a lot of experiential stuff like meditation, workout programs, more curated. I mean, you go to other platforms, it's crowded, right? Everybody's throwing out something. We are, if you think about Yahoo as an ecosystem, it's the it's the it's the king and the queen of curation in a way. When we create aggregation, right? So really building that as a platform. And then on top of it, leading by example, what I would say we've done uh, within Verizon, I'm doing that a lot. COVID-19, if anything, has highlighted the importance of mental health and wellness and bringing it to the forefront of conversation. So we've recently donated $10 million of ad inventory to mental health organizations supporting mental and public health response 
to this pandemic as an example. A lot of good institutions doing great work, so we wanted to support them. And then we did, again, I, I always take like, how can our products help? One other example would be Yahoo Sports recently did, we did this thing called We Keep Playing with Billie Jean King and uh, we had uh, former secretary, uh, uh, Condoleezza Rice, who's now professor at Stanford, and we have amazing athletes on a panel to really help young athletes and goal athletes who are not able to play right now and how do they cope and how can um, this team help them. So we've started doing that vertically as well, but broadly as a company, it's a core theme. So... Guru, looking out at the next year, let's uh, uh, assume at some point that this COVID-19 crisis will leave us. It's become very popular to say that some of the changes that we have endured as a people, and this thing knows no bounds, right? It's a common denominator that impacts us all, that some of the behavior is going to stick and that there will be a new normal. You have a unique perspective, again, going back to that notion of you as a triple threat between engineering, science, business, and creativity. What's your take on what that new normal might look like? Sure. Look, one of the big things that's going to happen, the winners, if you will, would be the, the digitization of the world just accelerated, I would say, three to four years, right? If you think about the use cases, just think about people buying things right now, people buying groceries or ordering food online, I would say the spike in that you're seeing that most of them are new users, right? People are most, a lot of them doing already is fine, but you got this massively free marketing window, whether you've got a massive new uh, consumers coming in. So overall, digitization as a category is just going to hyperscale, which means things that you'd have thought would take three to five years. That's why 5G you think about a lot of those things, they become even more critical right now uh, in terms of acceleration. And what I see as a new normal, think about the crowded behavior. I'm sure you you heard this from many people. People going to uh, uh, the restaurants, a crowded concert, a sporting event in a very crowded form, that's going to take a lot of time. Uh, and, and, and if you add up the time it's going to take to create vaccine, to having a, a real solution in terms of drugs, that can help solve this in a, in a more consistent manner, you're only compounding that impact. So what happens in that time frame? One, even if those things come back, let's say restaurants and uh, the gaming and all of that comes back, you have enough window to make permanent shift in terms of consumer behavior. You don't need that long of a window generally. So you're going to have this much time window, let's take a year or, or some version of that, I'll use your timeline, where you are forcing new behavior into people. Now, when these things become normal, people will go and do that too. But all of a sudden, you, uh, you increase the adoption level. So I'll, what I mean by that, e-commerce, uh, one of the analysis has shown, will go from 11% of total retail to 20% of total retail in, in less than 18 months, right? You suddenly double the market, which is about $600 billion in the US to a trillion plus within 18-month window. I think the new normal for us, the digitization, let now apply the layers of, I come back to where we started the question on health, right? I talked about healthcare up front. That suddenly accelerates, right? The telemedicine, telehealth as a category you're going to see now, because regulatory-wise, there's going to be a lot of easing of regulation and policies as well to speed up that. 
So what we can do there. I think then you can apply a lot of layers. Education is definitely getting impacted today. That as a category, you will see a lot of, you know, uh, I would say acceleration in a way to help mainly, you know, kids, but also college, what happens there. So I think the new normal is going to be a much more acceleration in digitization. That means 5G, augmented reality, which we are doing quite a bit. When you think about Riot, you know, we are building a lot of those experiences. I initially had a, you know, I look at the roadmap, we had a three to four year roadmap that we were going to innovate on certain things. Suddenly I put them on a much faster track. We're doing a year window now saying, hey, we need to go fast because people want that experiential thing sooner. Um, same on ads, which I'll pick as a category. You know, I always said ads and commerce in many ways, they, they'll all blend in at some point. Because if you think about ads and performance ads, it's all about transacting, right? People, if I, you know, if iPhone, Apple puts an ad or Samsung for a device, their goal is for somebody to buy that device. And in many ways, there is commercial transactional intent built into it. Search, if you think back, did that first. There is a direct response. That's why sponsored search really did well. And we think about Overture and then Google as well. That merging of transaction performance thing, the, yesterday I was on a call with Mark Pritchard and, and a few other folks, and we were talking about this, and there was a thing, the, the idea of transparency, moving much closer to giving transparent data, and really making it the transactional piece along with the ad piece much more deeply integrated, that acceleration becomes much, much more kind of near term in many ways that you're going to see. That's why what we did internally when I came in 18 months back, I laid out a strategy from a business model saying we want to be uh, in subscriptions, transactional and, and commerce business, and also ad business, strengthening all of that. Part of that was you will see a little bit of a blending on the transactional and ads. Now, transactional will also include like sports betting, which we launched late last year. Now we are in five states. Things like that where it becomes an end-to-end experience this is the time to capture that audience when you think about digitization. So we've created, I look at our assets, we are in the business of creating inspiration that is top of the funnel. That's what content businesses do. I am now going through the journey and saying, I want to also close the loop on those journey because I was giving a great example the other day. You know, I was reading an article in one of our ecosystem properties, which recommended you know, Yahoo Finance did the live stream of uh, Warren Buffett's you know, annual shareholder meeting. And part of that, it recommended a couple of books that he reads. And, you know, some we wrote an article on that. Yeah, I read the article. And the next thing I did is I went to Amazon Kindle and bought those two books, right? And guess what? I created the inspiration in many ways. I got nothing out of that value chain. You know, the Amazon did, right? So that's why if you think about our strategies, how do you close that loop? Uh, let that be transactional. Let that be on sports. You do come for uh, scores. You come there for consuming content. You're playing fantasy sports and you're creating that ecosystem. Uh, you can Now I'm saying hey, you should be able to buy tickets for sporting events. By the way, if you have intent to bet because you're playing fantasy sports, we'll enable that in legalized uh, uh, states as well. So really going down that journey, closing the loop. And I think now I apply on the COVID world a year from now, the deeper engagement and deeper because consumers are digitizing faster. Now, China and those markets, just so you know, has a completely opposite problem. One of the reasons I was telling someone the other day, China coped up with this faster because people were already digitized much more aggressively. If you think about the adoption of mobile online, close to 900 million users who are on these platforms already, what they did is they relied on that much faster. They didn't have to go through a learning curve. U.S. generally is a bit more linear market, if you will, even though we know it. 
we're a linear innovation, right? You build the next use case and all of that. What this is going to do is leapfrog some of these use cases. Um, and, and hard to predict some of them when the normalcy will come back and you take travel and all of that. The trust level building for people to believe that you can send your kids or yourself uh, in, in a lot of, I mean, I used to travel a lot. That's going to take a while. It seems that when you look at the asset mix of what you've assembled and, and your strategy, that you are relatively well positioned for the new normal and what's beyond that. Yeah, I would say so. Look, I, I'm always uh, balanced on this. I think we have to do a lot of execution uh, on, you know, we started the journey on strategy. I'll, I'll tell you this. Our strategy has been right. I think what this validated that you're on the right path when we started subscription and the and the transaction side because this period actually validated that, okay, that's the right thing in many ways along with the ad stuff. So I would say definitely confident strategy. I think the key which is going to determine our success in many ways is the speed of execution. You know, how fast you focus and accelerate some of these needle-moving things to take advantage of it. And I think the other important factor is going to be how long does this last? I think you started your question with that early on, which is I hope it goes away soon and we can start coming back to that. The longer this goes, it has impact to everybody, right? I don't think any business at that point is safe to think about it. So, so there are a few variables in there, but I would say, yes, I feel good about what we've done. And I also feel that we've done a good job of going over the harder part of integration and building that foundation early on. So we can now wither through this phase, working on innovation. So it does give us a little bit better position from that. When I would say last but not least is, is the Verizon family, right? I think Verizon being the number one trusted ecosystem or mobile network and, and best network in the US, along with the vision of building the networks that move the world forward, I think we have that foundation that, can, that should only get stronger. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And uh, this was really terrific. No, no, no. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit AdvertisingWeek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. An original music was by Ian Levy.